Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest on resilience is Marilyn Champion, entrepreneur, author, and teacher. As Marilyn states, any type of resilience is flexibility of thought. If you're focused on something that you want to do, you can almost expect that there will be things in the way that will block you or deter you. But resilience means that you're going to face the obstacle and you're going to continue forward. Thank you. First of all, I am very appreciative of the fact that you in, invited me here today. Uh, my name is Marilyn Champion. Um, my nickname has been Earth Mother more than once. Um, my son has always been very important to me and his friends as well. Oopsie. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so that basically, that's my story. Wonderful. So Marilyn, I wanted to thank you for contributing to my interview series with Authority Magazine and Thrive Global on rising through resilience, how to be resilient during turbulent times. And, you know, I found it very sort of fascinating. The first thing you sort of mentioned was about this idea of exercise. How has exercise been an important factor in your life? Well, exercise has always been important to me, starting with childhood. I had a, a very serious operation and I had to learn to walk and move again at the age of eight. And one of the most important things the doctors told my parents was to make sure I had plenty of exercise. And that continued all the way through high school and it's always been an important part to me. I've never been very good at any team sport. I never made the basketball team, excuse me again. Uh, even though I was very tall, but I, I believe that exercise and fresh air are a way for us to unite with the earth and with the healing forces that are out there. And I know for a fact that people who work too much inside and never get outside tend to have more problems with their health as they get older. So exercise is a very vital thing. Yeah, and I know you also mentioned it's also a form of reflection. Yes. How, how has that specifically been a factor in in your own life? Well, I remember being taught very young that if you're going to pray, you should put your feet in motion and do that. Well, I kind of adopted that theory to my own life. 
I walk a minimum of a half hour to 45 minutes every day. And during that time, I sort what's been going on that I'd like in my life. Are there any problems I'm facing and so forth? It's a lot easier than staying up at night and worrying about things because before I go to bed, I write a note done for today. No more thoughts, no more worries. I'll do that tomorrow when I'm walking. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and, and a lot of people confuse the idea of exercise with movement, you know, sort of this feeling of I need to go to the gym, whereas it could just be as simple as moving your body. In, in any Absolutely. Way. You know, one of the best exercises I ever got after, uh, ever learned after I got a, a very bad knee injury, while I'm washing dishes or waiting to do anything in the kitchen, maybe waiting those last three minutes for the cookies to get out of the oven, I stand on one leg. And what that does is strengthen your thighs and your calf muscles, and then I alternate one minute each. I was given that exercise years ago, and my legs are very, very strong, even, you know, in addition to all the walking that I do. And also, we can just do, I forgot the term for it, but when you stretch your muscles against your own self, like make a fist, you are actually flexing the upper muscles. So you don't have to go to a gym. I never liked gym because there's too many people there. I'm a private person. <laughs> I want to see people watching me. Yeah, but, no, uh, I, I agree. So I would love to learn more about your backstory, you know, your career. You mentioned you were a teacher yes. uh, in, in high school system. You know, give, what was sort of the most memorable parts of that experience for you? I think the most important part of the experience was something that happened the second week of school. I had trouble with these kids at first because they had been hurt a lot of times before. I was in an inner city school. Many of the kids have been kept back. There were gang situations and everything. And I remember the second week of school, I, I had one boy after school and I explained why he should finish this assignment so that he can progress. And he said, what difference does it make? I'm not going anywhere anyway. And that, that touched, I remember that moment to this day. And that's what got me started in the idea of having self-improvement and uh, recreating a new self-image and making that part of my English class. And we would study whatever the state wanted me to teach them Monday through Thursdays. But Friday, I used to just call it free thought day. Um, I would ask them a question and they would write it down. The questions would be something to the effect, if you could create a perfect job for you, what would that be? Or if you ever want to get married and have children, how will you treat them as opposed to the way you've been treated? Things that would make them think. And after, I think it was the second or third year, I started working with a psychologist. I was now in grad school. I was studying whatever I needed to study at the time to become a better educational counselor. And that ended up being the reason I wrote the book years later when I was suffering with cancer. I, I went on to other careers later. I, uh, I married, I moved out of state, I became a mortgage broker. At that point, I evolved into something else. I tried to teach people how to get their credit up in shape so that I could get them a mortgage. So I was always looking forward to finding a way to help people. Uh, my grandmother has told me very young, uh, she, I believe, traveled to four different continents and spent 12 years in the Amazon jungle. 
she told me that you should always be ashamed to die before you've made the world a better place for other people. And that really impressed me as a child. So um, sometimes I've fallen off of that path and just worked for money because the family needed that. But I've always had an inner urge, if you will, to help people make a better life. And that's why I love human resolve. You're, you're really helping people deal with the fact that it's not all, no, it's not all in your head. It's in your heart and in your gut. And your gut will take care of whatever it is in your heart or head. You have negative thoughts or fears or worries. They will register in your tummy. Yeah. I know that. Absolutely. And, you know, I also find it fascinating too, you mentioned about people knowing how to use or handle money. I think that's a very important thing because yes. it's your relationship with money. It's how you perceive money as, you know, exactly. long, long time ago, I was sort of not told, but sort of made the inference or the connection to like money's like fire in a way you could use money. You could use fire to heat your home or burn a building down mm -hmm. uh, and money's really the same thing. It could be very destructive or very positive depending upon how you view it. So how have you being a teacher and sort of lived your life, how have you sort of seen money being used and, and how do you think money can be better used? Well, I'll say one thing to begin with. I did have my first marriage where money was unlimited. And after three or four or five years of that, I realized that it really wasn't making me happy. Um, I started to living, wanting to live a much simpler life. Um, to this day, I live a very simple but very abundant life. Our house isn't that large. We don't have a lot of money in the bank, but we live a clean, simple life. And I think that's what's really important. I remember uh, my grandmother making a, a comment when I got married, just don't let that money burn a hole in your pocket. pocket. You know, she was very conscious because she'd gone from great wealth to absolute poverty three or four oh. different times in her life. So I learned a lot that way. And I think people need to realize that whenever they have a paycheck or, or money comes to them, put 10% aside for you. Don't spend all your money. I really did learn that quite quickly. Um, and I think money feels good when, when you're able to do something to help people with it. I remember being in Brazil uh, we were sitting, my son and I were sitting in, in Rio one night by the ocean and there was a little girl that asked us for money and my son was very aware of what was going on. He says, they're going to, she's going to take the money and bring it to her father and her father's going to buy drugs. So we used the money to feed her. We gave her all the food. It was a big bag of food, several, several meals. And, and we said, just go home now. You're, you've done your work for the day. And that made me feel really good. That made me feel really good. So Marilyn, how do you define resilience? Resilience, I think would be best described as mental flexibility. Um, whenever I see any of the Rocky movies, I, I think of resilience. No matter how many times you get hit, get up. Maybe just one more time. Um, res, res, uh, any type of resilience is flexibility of thought. Mm. Um, if you're focused on something you want to do, you can almost expect that there'll be things in the way that will block you or deter you. But resilience means that you're going to face that obstacle and you're going to continue forward towards whatever your goal is. 
you may have to reimagine your goal a few times or alter it. But if you stay focused on a goal, you will get there. Yeah, I think you also likened it to this idea of um, like not giving up, like not like not deviating from your goals. You might have to exactly. go around your goals. Exactly. Not deviating from the goals. Exactly. Really exactly. Remember the early Pac-Man games? When, yes. <laughs> that's what life can be like at times. I know it has been for me. Um, I mean, just the fact that I'm alive today, <laughs> everybody who knows me knows that I never gave up. So yeah, I, I think that's the message. And, and also you sort of mentioned uh, the um, you know historical figure, you know, Napoleon explain, I, I would love to learn more about sort of that, you know, that, you know, how you liken that. Yes. Well, you know, there are a lot of negative uh, historical feedback information about him. But I remember there, I read it, read an article. Um, he talked to his troops one day before a major battle. I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name of it. But he, one of the things he said was, courage is not having the strength to go on. Courage is going on when you don't have the strength. So I'm going to get earbuds for next time I talk to you. This is me. <laughs> so courage is, I love that. Courage is the strength to go on. It's not the strength to go on. No, it's going on when you don't have the strength. Pulling yourself up, you know, clawing your way to through whatever. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's something with business or family. You, you just have to go forward and go forward without hurting anyone. You know, some people uh, forget that we're all one spirit. We're all part of the earth. So you can't uh, you can't treat other people badly and and you won't reap satisfaction even if you get your reward mm -hmm. yeah also in the article mentioned sort of sometimes people assume resilience is courage and i love what you said you said courage combined resilience is a winning is a winning formula that's the formula that. for success in everything whether it's success in beating an illness success in building a whatever your career motives are. See, if, if you're all courage and no resilience, after a few times you get knocked down, you may not get up. So that's where resilience comes in. And as a teacher and someone who's lived life and seen things and experienced things, how have you seen that um, sort of allow people to rise and allow people to fall? That's an interesting thought. I think when I think of people rising, I think of, um, his name is Walden. He's a student of mine who unfortunately uh, has passed on, but um, he was one who really wanted to go forward in his life. I remember he was really good about staying after school so I could give him reading help. He didn't want to let everybody in class know that he couldn't read, but he he really took that seriously. I found out 10 years later that he was a civil rights lawyer uh, in somewhere in Hartford. So I, I got the feeling that if he had the, the courage to stay after school and learn to read, he, he obviously went forward, nothing let him, you know, he wouldn't let anything stand in his way. Um, the opposite thing, well, I know somebody who, I don't know if I should even say this, it's terrible, but, um, I was at a, a party once and, and there were a lot of very well-off people there. And I remember he said, uh, 
it was a beautiful day and, and there was some lovely things happening. He said, I wonder what the poor people are doing today. And he laughed. And I saw the looks in the people that's around. Some of them thought that that was acceptable, but most of us were quite horrified. Um, years later, he lost his business. He was cheating and doing other things. It was a lack of character. So all the money in the world that he made didn't give him a happy life because he never understood the fact that we are all one people. I don't know why that is so hard to find in today's world. I'm looking at politics in the United States and things happening around the world. We need to wake up people, you know, really. So. No, 100%. Uh, and then you also mentioned your husband, how he uh, for you is an example of true resilience. My husband is remarkable. And I'll have to tell you how he came into my life. Uh, I knew I had liver disease, but it wasn't manifesting yet. It takes many years for it to manifest. I had been given a dirty transfusion after a car accident, hepatitis C. Well, it was growing away. Now they do have medication for it. So you won't go through what I'm going through if, if you know anybody that has that. But anyway, he had lost his wife. Um, he was by her side for, I think it was eight years between the heart disease and the cancer. He was by her side. If it meant working two jobs so he would get the very best doctor, that's what he did. And I met him shortly after I became ill. My son actually caused this to happen. He said, Mom, you're never going to meet another husband. I was divorced from a, a bad marriage. He says, you're never going to meet another husband in the grocery store. So he put me online in a dating service. And very quickly, uh, Ed and I connected. And um, I didn't realize how quickly I was going to become ill. But we were dating about three months. Uh, we were already engaged. We, we, we just connected. And he realized, I told him, I said, I'm going to be very sick and I not, may not make it. I don't want you to have to bury a second wife. So if you want to just stay friend, he jumped in full tilt. And I'll never forget that first night when the emergency room delivered me to the room in the hospital. It was the same hospital, possibly the same room where his wife had died. And the doctor gave us this, you know, they try to tell you the worst case scenario so you're not disappointed. He said, you know, you may not make it. They're only, you're in your mid-60s. There are only 10% of the people in the world that have your blood type. You may be over, on and on. And after the doctor left, I remember he looked at me and he said, I'm not going to lose you. You're going to make it. Wow. Again. I apologize for this. That's okay. Anyway, uh, long story short, he stayed with me through all those sicknesses. He almost lost his job at one point. He was near retirement, but he would, he would be in the hospital every time I was in there. And in the last six months before my transplant, I had uh, 15 trips to the emergency room. He would take off work and come take care of me. Um, this man is the strongest man I've ever met. And when you meet him, he's the gentlest, kindest, big giant guy, just sweet as anything. But inside, he has the strength and the courage of a lion, and he is resilient. I love wow. him. <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. That's that's such a great story. Mm. Um, you know, you alluded to sort of this aspect of having cancer. You know, as you know, I'm also yes. a cancer survivor yes. as well, yes. and your liver transplant, um, and a lot of sort of all the stuff that sort of happened to you about taking a bad situation and making it good. How have you cultivated resilience in your life in that sense? Well. Part of the thing of being sick is 
you get to a point where you're either going to go full tilt or you're just going to give up and listen. The worst thing you can do is listen to everything the doctors tell you because they only know half the story. The healing energy in the human body is amazing. We are an organism. We're not a machine. We are an organism that is meant to heal. I think I've already lost the track of the question, but basically what I wanted to say is I've learned how much uh, my body can do. I respect my body more than I ever did before. I watch what I eat, which isn't to say I'm not going to have a cookie now and then or some ice cream. I mean, I'm not, you know, Guilty. an extremist, but I'm very careful. And I'm sure you are with cancer. You learn with cancer too, how quickly you can lose your appetite or, or things don't taste good. Um, I'm a very strong proponent of medical marijuana, and I think that should be available for everyone who has cancer. Um, I know that uh, I couldn't eat during the radiation, and it was even worse with the chemotherapy. But by by having marijuana, and you don't you don't have to smoke it as I did. I knew little old ladies down the street that had it. They were they were, they were drinking it in tea which is fine as long as it can suppress the nausea and allow you to have an appetite to eat you're in, you're in good shape i think yeah I, I for me i attacked it in various different ways um i knew that i was more than just my body yes uh, i i also believed wholeheartedly in medical science documented verified medical yes. science yes but yes. i also believed that there's other ways to heal the body and so i looked Absolutely into that as well true. so i really took it from a very whole person perspective. Um, yes. And, you know, that was my path. It's not everyone's. Um, and I'm here to live, you know, I'm here to tell the story. Healthy and beautiful. Did you get into meditation at any point? I did. So I'm, so before cancer, I was a longtime meditator. Oh. I've been a meditator for about 20 years now. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, so it started off at five minutes a day. Now it's 20 minutes a day. Uh, if I don't do it, which I have to cop, the last couple of weeks were very, very stressful for me. I'm launching a book that's coming out um, um, actually in, in, in a few weeks. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, and so um, I kind of had one or two days where I just didn't have the time to or I just didn't make it you know, a, a priority like I normally do. And I felt yeah. completely off. So yes. I 100% agree with you with, with you know the role that meditation has played in my own life. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, and deep breathing, of course, you're aware of that, of the breathing. I used to just imagine I was breathing out the cancer cells and I would see them as little birds flying away. It sounds crazy, but it worked. I would in inhale, like a, think of a golden light from God coming in and breathe out those little germies. They went. And I treated it like a, like a, like a mission and a challenge. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, I sort of... Um, I went into like survival mode. I, that's yes. the only way I can sort of ex explain it. Yes. I just wanted to understand everything about it. I wanted to understand every every which way that my body can maybe come through it. Uh, and I actually said, I remember it was like five days before Christmas. It was in 2014. And I was supposed to go for my last scan after the chemo. Uh, and I said, I literally <laughs> said out loud to whomever, spirit, God, universe, whatever you yes. want to call it. Yes. Um, that I did what I needed to do. There's nothing more I could have done. And exactly. if it comes out that I still have cancer, then I have cancer. There's nothing else I can do about it. Um, fortunately for me, I was in remission. I've been in remission for seven years. and uh, But I'm also not, um, I'm wise enough to know that cancer is one of those things where it can come back. And so yes. I remain vigilant, but not fearful. 
Very, very good. You made an important, important, an important point there. Um, I think acceptance is there. And you reached that moment where you had done all you could. At this point, you had to accept what the universe had in store for you, whatever your destiny was. And I think a lot of people have problem getting to that point. But yeah. Yeah, 100%. I've lost so many people to cancer. Um, yes. But, you know, my book is about telling a survivor story. I think it's important that that story be told because there's a lot of us out there that have lived through that yes, and have yes. experienced that. And that's not the end of our story either. So Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, Marilyn, how, what are your five steps for how one can become more resilient? Well, as a child, I was often... <laughs> locked in the closet when I was a bad girl. So I always had little books and a flashlight there. And I became a very, very prolific reader before I was in the fifth grade. And to this day, I know that if I can't change that channel in my brain, if it just won't let me alone, I'll turn it off by reading something that's interesting to me and focusing on the book. So I think reading is, is absolutely important. Also, I've, I've read articles about changing your mindset by doing something with your hands. Um, ideally, picking up a hobby where, you know, in my case, after a car accident, it was the accident where I had the, the terrible blood put into my body. I would start knitting and by using your hands with your hobby, it is very, very helpful. It is very helpful. Um, exercise we talked about, I think, I think it's sad. I, I'm in, I'm 74 and I look at women my age who feel that they're too old to exercise. They may strain a, a muscle or something. And I, I, I try to encourage walking. Um, that's the one exercise that anybody can do. And it's a universal fix. Um, I also believe in squats and, and trying to get my whole spine aligned at all times. So that's all part of exercise. Um, one thing I did, have done for years is when I'm going through a difficult time, I put a quote on the mirror oh. and I, in the bathroom and I try to you know, focus on what that says. One of my favorites this year was by Ellen Sirleaf Johnson. She was the first black woman to head uh, a, a state in Africa. And she said, if your dreams aren't big enough, no, I'm sorry, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. Mm. And I find that very inspiring. I have a very big dream that I'm working on. So, yeah, I feel like a moment. lot of people when it comes to um, quotes or dreams in general, or uh -huh. visions, they feel like there's a shelf life for it. They feel like yes. if you don't reach it at that point, then it's kind of game over. And, you know, I'm only 45, but I've lived. <laughs> I've lived. I really have. Yes. I've yes. explored. I've traveled. I've done jobs and, and, and um, been in situations where other people would probably not even ever do it. Uh, I risk things. Um, Good. But I feel like to a large degree, um, people feel like um, if they don't reach it at a certain point in time, then they're not meant to you know, which is kind of an erroneous thinking. Absolutely. That made me think, um, I was, uh, when I was putting, putting this final touches on the seventh, second publication of my book, I read the one part about 
the house that I wanted to live in and I described it. I described the yard and I described everything about the house. I'm living in that house now. It took me 20 years to get there. But when we pulled up, I said to my husband, this is it. How can this be? I had drawn little pictures in it and we laughed and he said, no, you don't know what it looks like out on the inside. And the man was, was watering his flowers. And I walked up to him and I said, I want to buy your house. You don't even have to show me the inside. And he laughed. And I said, no, I'm serious. And as it turned out, it was perfect. I told him, I'm sorry that we can't afford to pay the price that you say here, but I feel that this is my house. I said, wow. I just love it. And it turned out he and his wife felt that that was the value of the house, not what the person had told them to ask. And I said, well, see, this truth came to us. Wow. And yeah, and he was very, very helpful. Um, he made sure I knew where things were planted. So, you know, don't dig here. The lilies are here, you know, this kind of thing. So that was a dream come true. I know you had a fifth and final step, which was, which I found so intriguing about going to a cemetery and yes. smiling. I mean, yes. if you think about all of pop culture, movie references, books, yes. um, it's very morbid. It's very scary. It's just very negative. And I just love the fact that you reframe that. Yes. Please, please tell me more. Well, I have to tell you how that came to be part of my knowledge. I was working for the Diocese of Corpus Christi back in the day, and we had a special fundraising group called GROW, God Requires Our Work. And in the process, I met a very phenomenal priest by the name of Father Charles Magsum, and he was a spiritual counselor, counselor on more than one continent. Um, and one day I was talking about a friend that was so sad, I didn't know what to say to her. And he said, tell her to go to the cemetery and find a tombstone of someone who died at a younger age than she. And then she can laugh and say, do I try and change places? And we got silly over it, but it's true. When you realize that nothing, almost nothing is troubling you now, other than your, the state of your soul, none of it is going to matter in a hundred years. And that little cemetery trip, she told me later, she said, yeah, that really changed my mind for the day. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Excellent. Well, you know what? Now I want to sort of go into the portion, what I call brainstorming. Oh, yeah. uh, and, you know, there's sort of an interesting idea that you mentioned about this random act of kindness day thought we could maybe brainstorm around how that can happen or how we can, you know, cultivate ways to um, make that something that individuals can think of as um, something that's important. You know, I think a lot of people feel like kindness is something that um, if you give too much of it, you're going to be trampled on. If you don't give any of it, people think of you as a, you know, B-T-I-I-C-H, that sort of thing. So I would love to sort of explore that with you. Well, the reason I, I mentioned that is I made a, an attempt at that. I, I think it came off probably half as effective as I wanted, but I've been very disturbed for years about the separation in our society. Our younger people don't connect with older people. It, it's, it's really a disconnection all the way around. And I thought, would it be wonderful if a community could get together all ages involved, 
and put on basically a random act of kindness day. I had envisioned, it worked actually this way for a while. You write on a piece of paper, something nice you would like to do for someone. And on another piece of paper, you write down something you would like someone to do for you. And I think the article that I shared with you, or the part in the article was a young man had a, had a thing about <laughs> cooking and, and, but he wasn't allowed to where he was renting at the time. So an older woman made a batch of cookies and he paid her, or she made more than that. She had cookies, she had brownies. She gave him everything that was homemade that he wanted. And in return, he painted her front door that was chipping away. It was only a little thing, but they both gave something of themselves and they both received what they needed. And that's just one little idea. Yeah, I think for me, when I think of kindness in general, I, I think of the fact that um, sometimes individuals sort of feel that kindness is is something that takes away from what they're trying to do for the day or takes away from their goal or takes away. And I find kindness is really something that's a mindset. It's really about it is. consciousness. It's really about how you perceive yourself in the world and how you perceive others in the world, because it's yes. not always about you. Exactly. And, yeah. So I think maybe some form of um, awareness would be really helpful to cultivate kindness. That, that's what I, one of the things I tried to introduce with my class, oh my goodness. These children often felt that if they were kind or nice, they would be taken as being uncool or I don't know, something negative. And, and not at all should it be like that. It, it, kindness is the thing that brings the best parts of us out. We are all kind and loving people. We come into this world kind and loving and adorable people, and then life hardens us. So by getting back in touch with the concept of kindness, it's a healing, it's a healing thing. I know that while I was sick too, I tried to be really, really kind to anyone that I ran into because I wanted their good energy to bounce back on me, you know? We do create whatever vibes we give off. We give off bad vibes. That was the hardest thing to make my kids understand. They're high school age, and most of them had had some really tough times. But when they grasp the fact that by giving off kindness, you will attract kindness. There was, I remember at the end of one year, I had one group that were kind of rowdy in classroom, but um, they sort of discovered each other's weak points and instead of bullying them they accepted it i thought that was a huge life step for these kids it's only three or four of them that manifested that but yeah we are whatever we give out yeah and you know it's a level of intentionality right yes. whether or not you want to actually do that as well so there has to be a a want and a need for that yes yes so marilyn loved having this conversation with you where can my um so you know viewers and audience find out more about you on the internet well, thank you. Um, I have a website. It's called mindpowerjournal.com. There's a four minute video that either will change your life or you'll look at it and say, I don't need this. But it, it will reflect back to a book that encompasses everything that I've learned in life. So mindpowerjournal.com. Find Wonderful. Me. Well, thank you so much, Marilyn. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
I've appreciated this as well. Thank you. Stay blessed. Yes. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here Is How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.